contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, we interview Dr. Kasha Kynes, functional nutritionist and expert in EBV. EBV, I had that once. You did not. I might still have it. Uh-oh. We'll ask her. Mm-hmm. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Pull it together, Patty. I can't help it. You make me laugh. That's about. You have the kissing disease. Let's just start there. Didn't we all? We did. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. Patty Devers, how are you today? I am so glad to be here on the lab report. Good to hear it. How about you? Not so much. I'm great. Oh, good. I'm great. Okay. I mean, being here is just part of the greatness. Oh. I'm not the greatness, but but being here. Or are you? Hmm. Hmm. To be determined. TBD. If you're here, you're great. Thank you. And thank you. If you didn't know how you got here, this is a podcast by Genova Diagnostics where mm-hmm. we talk about functional medicine, integrative therapeutic specialty lab testing, and the like. And if you like this podcast, see what Ooh, I did there? Yeah. Find yeah. a little dinger here for you. You should probably go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe to this show and rate and review, leave us some stars, all that good stuff. Yeah, thank you for doing those things. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And if you have feedback, you can write that feedback or type it. Actually, yeah, that's more more appropriate. That's right. Send it to podcast at gdx.net. That we, is the email address to reach us. We love those emails. They're actually pretty yeah. fun. Yeah. People are pretty nice to us. I know. There's nice people out there. Isn't that true? You know, it's uh, know. it's a good thing. It's people like you, Michael Chapman. No, it's not me. It's They're, you. It's not me at all. Mm. I'm I'm the contrarian one. <laughs> I'm the I'm the one that draws annoyance out of the audience. And I'm not sure where or when. The early onset grumpiness set in. <laughs> I just have noticed. Uh, no. I no. first noticed it in high school, to tell you the truth. I disagree with you. I actually think you're becoming quite a heartthrob with those boyish good looks. You're going to be on like Tiger Beat magazine soon because of this podcast. With my dad bod? <laughs> no, I'm not sure what Tiger Beat magazine is. I don't even <laughs> really want to know what that is. To tell you the truth, it sounds like something that my daughter's going to be reading and it's going to make That's me right. very upset. Mm-hmm. Um, Get ready. And so without, with that, yeah, let's, let's move on. Let's talk about what we're doing today. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> 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 they say parenting is all about letting go. And I'm having yeah. a really hard time let's with that. Let's let that go. Let's, let's move on and, and talk about the fact that today... We're going to speak to Dr. Kasha Kynes. Yeah, and I'm excited for that. She's got a doctorate in clinical nutrition, and she specializes in functional nutrition. That uh, has this functional medicine approach. She draws a lot from naturopathic principles, and she's got a book. She's uh, an expert on EBV. Yeah, and anyone who has a doctorate in clinical nutrition, I mean, if you're coming into functional medicine, you're already at a major advantage. Which makes us at an advantage because we have on Dr. Kasha Kynes. We have her on. So let's just go ahead and give her a ring. So, Michael, we're honored to have Dr. Kasha Kynes here today. Yes, absolutely. I know. Let me just tell you a little bit about Dr. Kynes. Dr. Kynes is an international authority on functional nutrition, in particular 
clinical applications of evidence-based recovery protocols for chronic and acute Epstein-Barr virus, and gastrointestinal and autoimmune conditions. She received a doctorate of clinical nutrition from Maryland University of Integrative Health, a master's degree in clinical nutrition and counseling from Bastyr University, and a master's degree in English philosophy in Gdansk, Poland. She was sought out by Johns Hopkins Integrative Medicine and Digestive Center, where she worked closely with the renowned functional medicine gastroenterologist, Dr. Gerard Mullen. Dr. Kynes is an Amazon best-selling author on Epstein-Barr virus and is a sought-out speaker on the topic. She is also committed to training the new generation of nutritionists, NDs, MDs, and functional medicine practitioners in EBV management through the EBV Educational Institute she founded. Fully in practice since 2005, Dr. Kynes has helped thousands of clients recover from EBV, Hashimoto's, SIBO, IBS, autoimmune, and gastrointestinal disorders. And with that, thank you so much welcome, for coming Kasha. on. Welcome, Kasha. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk about this virus. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me first ask you a little bit about your background, too, because I think it's interesting. You're considered a functional nutritionist, and yeah. you pull a lot of your philosophy from some of the principles from naturopathic medicine, according to your website. So, can you tell the audience a little bit about your path to functional medicine and functional nutrition? Maybe it started with the fact when I moved that when I moved from Poland um, to Michigan uh, 25 years ago, and I started to buy food in the regular grocery store. There was something <laughs> odd about the food that I would eat. I was eating, and there was something odd about people around me being grossly obese. Um, and the food wasn't tasting right. So that's the beginning of the journey. At the same time, this was late 90s, no, 1996. And this, when I moved to Michigan, I started to teach English at um, a local university. Uh, and I had to drive through fields of Roundup ready at that mm -hmm. time, uh, crops, mm -hmm. like crops, because it was farmland. Mm -hmm. So I was quite upset about what I was seeing, um, also toxics, also uh, sludge. Uh, FDA was pushing to um, to uh, have sludge, industrial sludge, uh, marketed as organic. <laughs> so there was, so I was thrown into this uh, this political period. Um, I got very upset about that. I actually um, we did some. Uh, lectures and education with my international students. They were calling their parents in Korea or here or there and finding out that there was a lot of uh, upset about the GMOs also internationally. And uh, we even had a lecture for local farmers. They were, they were very upset with me because this was industry that was potentially helping them. Um, and so that really set me up. Um, and then... Uh, so I had a very different career, but I was paying attention. I was listening to public radio. I was listening to a lot of, I had a lot of tapes, uh, actually cassettes that I was recording from the radio, like alternative radio. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot about uh, Dr. Vantana Shiva and her work uh, on um, biopiracy of seeds and what was happening in India and losses and so on. So I was literally thrown into this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and... Um, Years later, when I was in Baltimore, I actually was so thrilled because I met Vantana Shiva when she came to Hopkins to lecture. And I told her that she was one of the reasons why I became a nutritionist clinically. 
because I was not an activist and it was very depressing and it, it, this whole, you know, this whole situation made me really angry, depressed and anxious mm -hmm. and I'd rather do something positive so that's why I decided to turn turn towards solutions and uh, <clears throat> I almost became an ND but I, I decided against ND program at Bastyr and instead I turned into, you know, moved to, into uh, the master degree in clinical nutrition. I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, medicine is nutrition. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's interesting. And that kind of leads us into our next question, because we now know here in functional medicine, and you even talk about this on your website, that nutrition is a great place to start because it underpins up to 80% of all chronic disease. But, you know, that's not everything there is to fix. There's other things like GI. Do you do, you do a lot of work with non-nutritional pieces of functional medicine? And can yes. you talk about some of those other things that you do clinically? Yes. It's like, a, you know, we're living in a, in a toxic sludge, the toxic maze. And so... I always think about it, you know, when you're when you're a teenager, you have to take driving license and learn, learn to drive, so you can you can have a car and and then benefit from uh, being mobile. In this culture here in the states, you can't really live without a car. It's, it's in most cities, it's not possible or practical. Right. And so, I think we're in a we're in a place where we have a completely different vehicle that we have to learn to drive. And so it's mess. It's messy. It's not hard, but it takes maneuvering. So it's like, you know, you have to take lessons and learn to drive this beast. And so it's a labyrinth uh, between, you know, toxicity from water, from air, you know, building materials in our homes. And, you know, it just goes into different aspects of our lives because the, the things are seeping into our, um, our organ systems. And so, you know, the, the food is substantially, you know, first on the list. Um, but there's other things as well. And there's a tipping point and the bucket full of how much the human body can uh, sustain itself. Mm -hmm. and, and so we've never been in this position. The human body has never been assaulted to this degree. And so that tipping point at the baseline is, is weaker. So there's, there's certain things that we're not doing we should be, and there's certain things we're doing we shouldn't be. So it's like the bucket is getting really full really fast. So I'm just feeling that I'm this. Uh, I'm teaching people how to drive this mm. new uh, vehicle. Interesting. Nice. It's a new reality. I mean, we we live in a new reality that That's wasn't right. there 50 years ago or 70 years ago. Yeah, Very true. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that you frame that nutrition is, you know, a big part of the way out or at least through the maze and how we can uh, most optimally deal with the the, the toxicity that's around us. Um, and, you know, we have had several doctors on, including Liz Lipsky, and I, I think it's always interesting oh. <laughs> to hear, you know, there's different different ideas around the optimal diet. And I think this is always just an interesting question because there is a lot of debate out there about what the perfect diet might be. And, you know, there's always new diets or at least new energies around things like right now, ketogenic diet is really popular. This more high fat, high protein diet. Do you have a particular stance or a, a thought around what the, the optimal diet kind of looks like in most people? Yeah, I do. I actually do. Yeah. And, um, and I'm glad that I went through Bastyr training because uh, that is, you know, there are certain foundational things that do not change in humans just because new diets come in. And, 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 and um, therapeutic diets are great for a period of time, but uh, they are not uh, an end in, in themselves and they should not be treated as such. 
And so in my clinical practice, I often have to do that much control because somebody, you know, um, really overloaded their pancreas or gallbladder uh, because of the fat or liver, for that matter. Um, people get stuck with uh, FODMAP, low FODMAP diet yeah. uh, long term, and that's not sustainable and shouldn't be. Yeah. It should be resolved. So there's, um, I, you know, I've seen all of these. Um, I've seen clinicians, and I've seen clinicians even certified in functional medicine, like nutritionists, go through phases with all these model diets. And yeah. <laughs> and then it's, it's, um, I, I, I am very cautious, and I always look for sustainability and long-term and long-term studies. And, you know, my first thing, yesterday I was on an interview. This was an interesting question I was asked what would be the one thing you would change on this planet if you could? Mm-hmm. And I had to say I would close all the factory farms immediately, retire mm-hmm. all those poor animals, mm-hmm. shift that. Yeah. Um, we have grinders. Our teeth are grinders. Our, our gastrointestinal tract is designed for roughage, for fiber, for f- folic acid is in roughage. You know, folate is foliage, you know. Right. We are designed to grind. We are designed, um, we don't salivate like my kitty when we look at a bird or a chicken. <laughs> 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 we don't, and and we literally can, and even we, ha- we have uh, some minimal needs for animal protein, and that's fine. It, it's all, you know, individually based. Much of it is conditioned uh, culturally. And much of it is conditioned also by the fact that we're not educated. And so I see uh, quite a lot of people attempting to eat more whole food plant-based diet, but they're not balancing meals. They don't know what they're doing, and, and they will be deficient in certain nutrients. So it's just education, simple things. We are, you know, we are grinders. And so, and, you know, the paleo movement, uh, it, it is... Um, Frustrating a little bit that there, you know, if I listen to an archaeologist who says in the paleo period, humans were consuming uh, some beans, legumes, and some grains already. Hmm. And so it's, uh, it's not consistent with the historical findings, archaeological findings. And when I look at sustainability and studies, medical studies, consistently, consistently show that when we have plants matter, uh, we thrive. We don't make many antioxidants, and antioxidants are what we need to curb free radical damage and oxidative stress, which is, you know, the the aging philosophy, you know, hypothesis from the 50s, right? Mm -hmm. Antioxidants are in plants. You know, that's bottom line. And I think, especially in American uh, industry, food industry, there's a lot of things that are common, but they're not normal. And maybe it's easier for me to see it as an outsider because I moved here. But I also know that as America goes, so goes the world. So we, you know, I have reports from colleagues who go back to Asian countries like, oh, my gosh, I went to a, a superstore and it's worse, in, worse than it is in a superstore uh, or grocery store in the States now. It's wow. just all junk food, mm-hmm. what's going on. But that's kind of, you know... Um, so I think foundationally, as I said, we're, we're not designed for high fat in particular. We're not designed, I mean, the body can adjust, 
this is the trick. So I always tell my patients, if you, <laughs> if your car didn't have any gasoline in the morning on Monday and you need to go to work, you would never dare to pour coffee in the tank hmm. because the car wouldn't run, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it doesn't have compensatory mechanisms. It is what it is, gasoline and nothing else. But human body has compensatory mechanisms because the body attempts to keep you alive at all costs. Yeah. So it's going to figure out how to get you to run on coffee. Um, so that's the fundamentally, we can do a ketogenic diet. We can, you know, adjust the body and the brain within four days to a ketogenic diet. But other things may not be sustainable as a result. So, yes, it's definitely not sustainable. It can be short-term for different reasons, but... Um, uh, but there may be, you know, some pitfalls of it too. Mm. And the same with with fasting. We may be too toxic to fast. And I've seen uh, a couple of cases of people coming with autoimmune, aggressive autoimmune disorders within two, three months of an aggressive weight loss or water fast or, mm. you know, medical weight loss. We It's just too aggressive. We, we, we don't have a full bucket of nutrients that support detoxification. We're actually depleted. So you're kind of piling up insult and the body cannot really process all the, you know, all the toxins dumped sure. uh, mm -hmm. during the fast. So I know these are all very popular things, but um, uh, not sustainable. Yeah. So. yeah. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate your, your overall approach. And it's, it's certainly right. We, we talked a lot about you know, making sure that the system is optimized before engaging any sort of, you know, big detoxification regimen, including mm -hmm. a fast, things like mm -hmm. that. So exactly, uh, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, yeah, I think that's that makes right. a lot of yeah. sense. But let's get to the heart of the matter, Kasha. We know that another big focus of your clinical work is with respect to Epstein-Barr virus infection and reactivation. First, mm -hmm. what what drew you into this area as a passion? Marlena Konietzna, uh, that was a dear friend of mine. Um, oh. We were a maid of honors for each other in Poland, and when uh, half, a, half a year before I was immigrated to the States, she told me she, she just uh, ended up in ER with a diagnosis of MS out of the blue. Hmm. And so my, my years in immigration here, filling my life, corresponded with her years of fighting MS. And so we, I couldn't help her, and we lost her just a few years ago hmm. after a long, long battle. And so... I wrote the book, I dedicated it to her and her surviving son, who's amazing. He's an amazing young person. And so I basically, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, I always ask that question. It just always, always ask that question, why couldn't I help her, what happened? In my desperation, I, I, I actually asked a colleague who is a medical intuitive, and she confirmed that the triggering um, point could have been Epstein-Barr virus. I'll never know. But I had some visions of her. I had her in my dreams. There's there was something. Mm -hmm. I think she's behind this because um, um, at a certain point, a couple of my patients asked me to read the medical medium book. So I didn't have time. So I had to buy the book on the plane, uh, read it on the plane to a conference. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't have time to read, but three people asking me at the same time means, means <laughs> that I, I need to have an educated opinion because more will, will ask me. Mm -hmm. I had no preconceived notion. I just opened the book and read it. Um, but I almost jumped out of my seat on the plane and I highlighted everything single page just because I saw so many stories of the patients that I had worked with over the years and those that I couldn't help. 
And then also those that I could help later, I'll pinpoint what I did exactly that helped them in those autoimmune disorders and this and that. I always thought it was just my, you know, I had a wonderful detoxification program. And so the magic was happening there. There were people with lupus and this and that. And I thought, well, we're just cleaning inflammation and, you know, setting people up, right, Mm -hmm. cleaning up. But then as I... As I read that book, Medical Medium, then it was all about, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's all about EBV is this big, big monster that causes everything. Mm. Basically, that's the, mm. um, wow. that's the conclusion of the book. You may need to be aware of it because Medical Medium, uh, it's a man who says since childhood he's been hearing voices of uh, uh, spirit of compassion. And spirit of compassion gives him all this information. Uh, since that first book, he's had a couple of books. He has millions of followers, and you know this 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 concept of EBV uh, moving all these <laughs> all these um, you know like a marionette. That's the that's the mm-hmm. the hand that moves the marionette. Mm-hmm. Um, it was intriguing enough, but I was thinking, okay, he he makes all the claims that are from a spiritual realm, whether you believe it or not then I think it's asking for trouble because now people actually started to go to their doctors and ask to be tested for EBV. Mm-hmm. And then doctors get really irritated because in the classical training, EBV is just mono, you get over it and that's it. And, you know, it's a waste of time. Everybody has antibodies, so why would you test? Uh, so that's a fundamental flaw in, you know, that's not what research actually shows, but that's the, the classical training. And so I could see this process of polarization. On the left extreme, you have all these fans that love this message and that are really just really honing on it and asking the doctors and and this is what they need, this is what they think they have. On the other side uh, of the spectrum, you have uh, medical doctors that are just not hearing it, They're, they're... they're quite frustrated. All these people want to be tested, and they don't understand the why. And then in the middle is this ocean of nothingness when actually you need to bridge it. So when I started after that book, when I started to look at my patient population, and I started to ask them to test, and I started to study the testing and lab interpretation, I really just sank into it and never looked back because we started to see patterns and the research that I was doing was matching the philosophy of food and antioxidants and plant-based diets. Everything that I had been doing, including my detox program, was matching perfectly. So all the years I had experience in were actually benefiting when I was uh, starting to be really strategic with that population. So suddenly I was getting results and then I was very lucky in my PhD program under Dr. Lipsky, by the way, mm-hmm. um, because Dr. Vasquez um, trained us in virology, and it wasn't based, it wasn't focused on EBV in particular, but this was the only time I learned about viruses, and there's no, there's no education on it anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not being taught. So he had some amazing ideas. Um, and I pulled out of these and started to hone in on protocols, and they worked. Yeah. And they worked. Wow. And they worked to the point that 
Pepilipsky, uh, my husband, everybody uh-huh. <laughs> insisted that I write a book. I just had a literature review of 71 pages uh, because that's what I, you know, I yeah. focused, PhD forced me to focus on it. So right. it was really right. good. <laughs> and so, and so well, I sat down and wrote the book because I saw so much pain. I saw so much misery, people losing jobs, losing livelihood, losing family, um, being unable to function, walk, sit, uh, 30 years of pain, multiple my diagnosis, multiple uh, medical conditions, mm-hmm. uh, $50,000, um, you know, medical expenses. Some people have traveled abroad to get help mm-hmm. and, you know, spend a lot of money. Uh, 15, 20, 50 doctors. I mean, I've, he- I've heard it all. And the cases when these things are not responding, when the protocols don't work, when there's just there, the person goes from door to door, that's a prime suspect for chronic EBV. And what, when, if you can identify it and then really focus on the protocols, then really people recover. It's, it's, um, and um, I, I'm very glad because at the end of my uh, book writing process, I stumbled upon Dr. Flavin's study from 2006. Okay. And she, she made that claim. It's, uh, it's reversible. It's treatable based on a 50-plus cases of young boys with enlarged spleens when she was able to reverse that within 24, 48 hours. And her protocol was very similar to what I do as the, the basic, you know, initial protocol. So I actually tracked her down in, in Germany and, and um, we're still in touch. She's amazing. Oh, great. <laughs> so great, great. That's fascinating. So, yeah. So I think, um, I think I was just, the right person at the right time and it just things aligned just because I was open and I was asking and I was willing and I just keep taking the step and I feel responsibility to, you know, to do it. And, and I, I do think that Marlena is watching over this and synchronizing all this to make sure that (laughs) I don't miss out. And yes, and the book is there and yeah, all that is uh, really surprising to me myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, you know, I've certainly heard about EBV infection and even EBV reactivation. Um, I think reactivation is something that we talk ab- about more in our functional s- circles and in our integrative mm-hmm. medicine space rather than in the conventional space. But do you feel like the concept of EBV reactivation is getting any more attention in the conventional space as being a legitimate uh, condition? Or do you still think we're kind of where, where we've always been? In the traditional medical practice, I think it's where it's been. You know, if you have new information and actually get into traditional medical practice, it's going to take 10, 15 years uh, until it becomes part of, uh, you know, what's done. Mm -hmm. So that's why I had to write. That's why I have speak. That's why I have training programs, just because um, we don't have that time. People don't have that time. So it'll mm-hmm. come probably eventually. And if I have anything to do with it, I would just, you know, that would be yeah. delightful. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in functional medicine, it's coming. Yes, there's, there's a lot of interest. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, even as far as someone having like chronic EBV or like Michael just talked about, reactivation EBV mm-hmm. causing all of these terrible sequelae, is what makes one person more susceptible to the sequelae than others or su- susceptible to reactivation than others? 
Yeah, I think it's a great question. It's the bucket. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So the toxins, yeah. if we, if we, you have to know your bucket and you have to know your triggers and you, you have to know, you know, it's like people have their buttons, right? Mm-hmm. What buttons can be pushed so you spiral into, I don't know, depression or stress or uh, poor sleeping habits or overwork or not having boundaries and overstretching our work and so on and so forth. So, what is it? We have a joke in um, in our community. Um, I I like to joke that we are um, overachievers, anonymous, international club. <laughs> <laughs> Type A personality, you know, just uh, wonderful people. And oftentimes in that community, uh, they, these are people primed to be healers in different modalities. Mm-hmm. They really are. They are like the canaries in their mind. And uh, we actually have this uh, highly sensitive individual test quiz. Uh, I like to screen people to see how high they are on that because that means they're going to be highly susceptible to other people, other people's energies, subtle energies, Wi-Fi technology, and all that can really trigger EBV easily, much more easily for those individuals. But the bucket is also toxicity, the immune system, do we have enough nutrients that actually build the immune cells? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, in functional medicine, oftentimes, you know, there's different products to boost the immune system, this and that. But what people forget is that immune cells, immune cells need nutrients to function and to be optimized. Mm-hmm. You know, they need nutrients. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not just mitochondria, every cell and immune cell as well. So, uh, and they're in, and they're taxed just like any other cell. So there comes the diet. It can be profound. Yeah. yeah. Dietary changes, cleaning up can be profound for that population. So 90, 95% of us have the virus. It's been on the planet for 1 million years. So, you know, you can't isolate yourself from it and you can't kill it out or kill it off. Mm-hmm. As people use lorazepam, for example, because they hope they will kill it. Mm-hmm. Kill it all. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The best the best solution is to turn it off. Turn mm-hmm. it down or turn it off. It's there. It's gonna mm-hmm. be there. But if you turn it off, it's immobilized in the in the, it's in this perpetual uh, you know, sleep and um, it can't it can't do that much uh, harm. So, you know, the question of reactivation or not, some people can have uh, EBV markers and they, you know, at least two of them will never go down or maybe down to a degree, but they will not go to zero because we've had exposure, but they can have an amazing life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's uh, labs are only part of the picture. I like my new patients to read the book first, and I always tell them, read the book in terms of your story, because you may start seeing patterns in your story, and you're going to see, oh my gosh, that was the virus and I didn't know. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and people make connections in their, their own lives, and, you know, there can be different connections. I had a patient I worked with for years previously before EBV for IBS and other issues, and she was doing great. She knew me, and she jumped back with me because she said, oh, my gosh, I am doing horrible. I don't know what's going on. Her functional doctor immediately tested her thyroid Mm. and found Hashimoto's and was smart to test EBV, and EBV was there. And so we jumped in, 
And uh, at that point, I had the literature review, I think. So mm-hmm. I, I, I gave it to her to read. And she had so many aha moments. She had um, idiopathic juvenile arthritis. She never told me about that. Hmm. And she says, nobody knew why. <laughs> right, right. And then she says, wow, when I was in college, I had, I think I had monos. I was like in bed. I was miserable. And then, and then she mapped out events in her life that were clear reactivations. And she literally thought she was dying at that time when she came back to me. Uh, she didn't tell me. She, she told me that later. And she's fully recovered. She's doing great. Hashimoto's gone. You know, she's doing amazing. She's her own self. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's wow. how that's how it works. It's um, the population that has really struggled for a long time, or in and out, in and out, has never never really felt optimal. That's where you kind of visit the idea. Got it. Mm-hmm. So. You know, one question, you mentioned Laurel Seiden. I'm wondering, we do talk a lot about monolaurin as a therapy for EBV, or at least for EBV acutely and, and for reactivation. But mm-hmm. there's not a lot of other, you know, therapies that we as clinicians are super familiar with as far as mm-hmm. EBV management. It, are there a few things that you could mention? I mean, obviously, uh, you go through a lot in, in your book, The Epstein-Barr Virus Solution, but is there anything that stands out as far as um, specific to EBV? Yes, and actually, uh, while I mentioned monolaurin and lorazidin, and I have a complete protocol how to use either of them and, you know, the, the pitfalls and contraindications and all that. I don't even use it with my patients unless I really have to. Mm. It's not my first, no, mm, because it does kill. It punctures the envelope, and, uh, and the toxic debris is toxic. When people have so much oxidative stress from EBV and you add that to it, People get really sick, and for me, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Plus, monolaurin or lorazidin doesn't multitask. It doesn't provide certain nutrients. It doesn't support the liver. It doesn't support the thyroid. Something that selenium can do. Mm-hmm. You know, and selenium yeah. can turn off the replication of the virus. So for me, uh, you know, I'm a nutritionist, so that's my that's my hammer and that's my nails. Yeah. So I'm gonna go after. Um, um, literature supported and my practical application supported uh, nutraceuticals that are based in nutrients because Mm. they multitask. And so I can get effects that are so much faster and more profound. And it's it's a matter of, it's a matter of dosage and form and when you take it uh, part of the day or with what or without what that's equally important. So you actually optimize it. So, and Dr. Vasquez actually taught me about selenium and the safety levels. And so we actually push 600 to 800 micrograms a day oh, wow. total from everywhere yeah. um, with food. And that can, that, uh, you know, think about the thyroid and the liver right. in glutathione production. Right. I mean, the list of selenium functions go on and we pretty depleted in selenium. That's right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. one of those minerals we don't think about, but it's so pervasive throughout our whole body. Yeah. We were just, um, I volunteer in a sanctuary here in, in, on the island where I live, and I just adopted an old horse. And we were just having a conversation about selenium for humans with the director. She just sent me an article about selenium for horses. And hmm. it's even worse because uh, selenium is notoriously low here in the soil. So if, uh, horses graze naturally 
they may not get enough selenium just you know even <laughs> so yeah. but yeah so uh so there's a lot of there's a lot of tools like that and they're easy because they satisfy so many functions that the body will enjoy and so mm. and so we build stages and i like the patients to feel different so i put them on a kind of starter of a number of these but let me tell you lower lower is not one of them yeah interesting. not it one is of interesting them. interesting yeah i mean and mm-hmm. there is just so much there's so many other things clinicians can do for these patients. I mean, if you go through your mm-hmm. book, The Epstein-Barr Virus Solution, I mean, not only do you outline all the nutrients and you talk about all the different sources of toxicity and Wi-Fi, um, I mean, you even go through stress and sleep and the importance thereof. So that there was going to be my next yeah, question. Yeah, so there's so many <laughs> other interventions. I mean, how important do you think that is as far as like mind, body, and, and ways to decrease stress? I always say that we compete with astronauts. I was at a nutritional conference where some scientists from NASA were talking about space and nutrients and what was found. And I found studies that um, show, you know, studies consistently, the biggest reactivator is stress. Hmm. And then there was a study by astronauts that they have a higher risk of reactivating EVV. And so I remember I ran to one of those scientists during the break and said, you know, you, do you know that they have a higher risk? I mean, I saw a study hmm. Yeah. And he looked at me, of course, they get antiviral medication prophylactically when they go in space. Like, what? Wow. Um, so I always tell people that so they don't feel so bad and mm-hmm. they don't feel guilty. And they, because, you know, the virus is what it is. It responds to certain triggers. And if you are in space, you have, you know, claustrophobia, you have uh, less oxygen, you have uh, oxygen levels are not even actually... You can have periodic hypoxia, and that's what they were saying. Um, that could reactivate the virus as well. So, you know, circadian rhythm is uh, disturbed, and that means more inflammation and stress on the body that can reactivate a person. A lot of people with um, EBV wake up in the middle of the night, uh, sometimes anxious with heart palpitation. That's pretty common. Hmm. Uh, and so we actually, yeah, I have a huge module on sleep in our program, Um but some people don't have that problem. Some people have stress problem, and uh, uh, and so we have to figure out where where those triggers are. We have tables and charts and cheat sheets to kind of mm-hmm. map out what's happening. I had a case when after four months everything was going well, but there was something in the bedroom, something at night. What is it that we're not seeing? Everything seems to be fine. Uh, the person had her life back, but. There's a stumbling block, and what she didn't tell me was that she had Alexa in the house. Mm. Interesting. And so we turned that off, and actually her dog was misbehaving because of Alexa as well. They would turn it on for the dog when they left the house. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> yeah, so uh, these, yeah, these are the things that we don't think about. I have to think about everything because uh, some simple things are missed notoriously. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, we're we're gonna kind of talk a little bit about your website, kashakinds.com, and all of your trainings. But yeah. before we end and, and kind of go there, we have this one question that we ask all of our guests on the show that it's kind of it's a little bit different. It's called the fireball. The fireball. We happen to know that you were 
born and raised in Poland, right? Uh -huh. so, so the question is, when you came here to America and you see that the food is remarkably different, what food do you miss most from Poland that you can't get here? Wild blueberries. Because oh. um, we used to pick them. We used to pick them with my family. Wild mushrooms we used to pick. Oh. Gooseberries. Gooseberries wow. are, you know, summer, in summer, uh, and sour cherries. Mm -hmm. uh, mm. Sour cherries in summer in Poland. Mm, I love those. <laughs> Although I've, I, I've gotten them frozen um, uh, here. Just and not then, the same from uh, Poland, though. You've got to get them fresh from Poland, right? <laughs> Transparent apples. If anybody goes to uh, to market in summer, um, and and only you know like Ukrainian women or Polish women will grab them and and buy them <laughs> out in the in the farmers market. Transparent oh. apples are just a very uh, short-lived apples that are very tart and just amazing. Oh. Green, green, almost like light green, pastel green. So these, you know, this is something. Um, Miss from we'll come up with more. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> no, I you mean, that yeah. was all fresh. It was all fresh fruit, raw right? Ingredients. Yeah. You know, and I'm of Polish descent, and I thought you were going to say something that was potato based, or you know, haluszki, or something, something more carb centric. <laughs> well, you know, you can make those. Um, True. Technically, True. You, my, my husband loves those. Sometimes either I make them or, or buy them, but but it's. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll make something, and I'll try to make them gluten-free if I can. Something <laughs> uh, like uh, with a with a filling with the uh, mushrooms and uh, sauerkraut. Yeah. Like but yeah, I am a potato girl. I have potatoes <laughs> right. in at home at any time. <laughs> but Americans don't know how to eat them, and so they have such a bad rap, and they right. are so healing. Yep. So it, it, it is sad. I mean, there was a study in 1930s in Poland where uh, a doctor was studying uh, people on eating, it was a period of time, I think 30 days maybe, they were eating potato-based diet, potatoes, uh -huh. pretty much. Uh -huh. there, was, there was no protein deficiency. Vitamin C was very good. Um, you you got to eat the skins, you know, right. you have to get them organic. Right. Uh, and don't bake them. <laughs> <laughs> Boil them in water and use that water. It's very healing. So, uh, yeah, so potatoes, I don't miss that because I have it here. Correct. But I am uh, <laughs> potatoes in any way at any time. Yes. <laughs> That's great. That's great, Dr. Kynes. And uh, we just want to encourage the audience to check out your website, Dr. Or KashaKynes.com, um, and oh. also to check out your book, The Epstein-Barr Virus Solution. I have another website specifically for EBV that we created. That's oh, a fabulous yeah. first resource. So I don't like people to waste months and years, you know, online. Uh, it's called EBV Help, H-E-L-P, basically, like helping people, EBVHelp.com. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, yes, if anybody has questions, they can uh, contact me directly. I've, I'm trying to help more clinicians so we can have a bigger impact. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, thanks, Kasha. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. <laughs> Transparent apples. Yeah, sounds interesting, huh? There's some interesting Do you think you can get them here? She's saying, yeah, you can get them at the I've market. I've never seen such a thing. Look for the gaggle of Ukrainian and Polish women. I mean, if it's truly transparent, we're not going to see it, right? <laughs> Regardless, <laughs> I'm hungry for potatoes now. Me too. Let's go get some. Okay. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to talk multi-omics part four. You going to dust off the wheel, Michael? It needs it.
You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You ever had holishki, Michael? I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to make some and bring it in. That would be fantastic. It's really delicious. Maybe. What's in it? What's Cab- it made out of? Cabbage and noodles, in essence. Cabbage, huh? Yeah. I'm on the fence about cabbage, it's I have good to for tell you. you. Is it cooked cabbage or raw cabbage? It's raw, and you slice it and shred it. And then you cook it with noodles and butter. <laughs> so it's cooked. It's cooked cabbage. It starts out raw. And then it becomes <laughs> Most <cooked>. things do. <laughs> That's how that works. <laughs>